And welcome to this week's episode of Ladies Who League. We have a new friend in the studio this morning. So last week my mum bought me one of those Aaron Woods blow-up dolls from Coles. I've decided that he should stay in the Radio Hub studio because I felt a little bit weird having a blow-up doll in my room. Got a full house in the studio today. I've got Joanna Lester, a rugby league journalist and expansionist. Good morning, Joanna. Good morning. It's lovely to be here after hearing so many episodes online. Oh, I'm so glad that someone's listening. So thank you very much for that. I've got Brock Schaefer, the General Manager of South Cares. Good morning. Good morning, Mary. Thank you for joining us in what I like to call the hen house. You're only the second male we've had on the show, so welcome. It's nice in here. I really like it. And the blow-up doll, I feel at home. (laughs) (laughs) Not even sure what to say there, so we might just move straight on to Elle. Good morning, Elle from Fox Sports. Uh, Morning, thanks for having me. No, that's okay. Thank you for coming in. I'm going to shoot straight to you, actually, Elle, because I've been looking at the Daily Telegraph and I noticed there's a big story on the $1.6 million stadium development. Have you got any thoughts on that? No, none at all. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, having read the article in full, uh, not so much, um, I... I'm a big fan of local grounds, mm-hmm. uh, huge fan of Leichhardt Oval. Um, haven't had the pleasure of Brookvale myself. I have. Uh, hopefully I don't have that pleasure for a little while longer. It was a bit of a challenge, but back to you, Elle. <laughs> but I personally find that ANZ Stadium is not the kind of place that I want to go and watch footy. So the idea of spending, throwing a lot of money at redeveloping that stadium even more is uh, not one that I'm necessarily on board with. See, ANZ Stadium for me generally is not particularly great because it doesn't have any atmosphere. But when you get teams like, say, Parramatta, the Bulldogs, playing and there's 40,000 people in there, that's when I feel that ANZ Stadium is at its best. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the best, but I find that you need the crowd. Otherwise, well, what's the point, really? Yeah, definitely. And I think I've been there for State of Origin and I've also been there for the Waratahs Grand Final. Mm Mm-hmm which was a debacle, to say the least. Um, Crowds getting into the ground. There was a line, I believe, we missed the first try of the the game because we were lining up outside and they couldn't deal with the fans coming in because they were checking bags too slowly. Okay. But there's a lot of small things like that. Once you spend however long getting out Mm -hmm. there, to then have to wait, to queue up, just dealing with things like that, I... Yes, (laughs) when you've got 80,000 people there, it can be more interesting, but at what cost? Yeah, and Brock, do you have any ideas about maybe what we'd need to do to the stadium to make it more fan-friendly? What can we do to fix... What should this money be used for? I tend to think it should be spent on the big stadium. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think they deserve upgrades, and they desperately need upgrades. Mm -hmm. ANZ Stadium is, to a really big extent, soulless. It's really hard for clubs to generate atmosphere for fans. There are great fan groups across the rugby Mm -hmm. league. And unfortunately, they go to that stadium and are lost in a cavernous abyss. Uh, So a big investment can make a big change there. Uh, The seats need to come closer to the field. That's that's the number number one one problem at ANZ Stadium. Elle, any ideas on what you would do? With ANZ? Yeah, with ANZ. I'm curious. (laughs) What would you do? Uh, Move it. Um, 
Yes, I think you're right, the seats, just to create a slightly different environment. Um, I just think going out there, it's it's like travelling to a completely different place. You feel like you're completely outside of Sydney. It's so far away from everything else. I know that what they're trying to do is create this festival vibe around the area mm-hmm. to try and kind of go, there is other stuff there. But I think you kind of... I think you... There's so much with sport about the feeling that it gives off and all that kind of stuff. I think that you kind of you lose it getting there and then you lose it on the way out and by the time you've sort of reached civilization again you've kind of forgot what's happened and you've you've lost it that's how I felt after what was it the grand final when Souths won and it wasn't until I was back in Coogee with the double-decker bus screaming down the street blowing the horn that I actually remembered I was like wow I watched something incredible earlier tonight it's definitely that thing that thing of getting on the train afterwards and and any, it's the same with any stadium in the world, when you can't just walk out and then walk back into the city with all the other fans and, exactly. and soak that up. Um, it is a bit of a downer getting on the train and then you're being funneled into those queues. But I think we've covered the two issues that everyone has with ANZ, the lack of atmosphere unless it's full and the transport situation. And um, casual rugby league fans, at least those that I know, just refuse to go there unless it's full. And it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation. If you pour loads of money in and make it a better atmosphere, is that going to fill it? And if not... It's still in the same location, and if you don't have direct trains for every game, there's still going to be all those reasons why people don't want to go. And, I mean, I'm a Parramatta supporter, so I sort of live out that way. It's actually the most convenient stadium. It's 20 minutes away, but I still find it really challenging to get there and sometimes to get home as well. Do you find it better to watch a Parramatta game at Pertec than at ANZ? Of course. I hate going to ANZ Stadium, and Pertec Stadium is home. That's where Parramatta play. The atmosphere is a lot better, but as we've been talking about, you're not as far away from the action. Yeah. It's nice, it's close, it's tight-knit. You'll get 13,000, 14,000 and create an atmosphere, whereas that 13,000, 14,000 just get, as you said, Brock, absolutely lost at ANZ Stadium. Uh, I suspect with the upgrade, though, and I've been lucky enough to see some of the plans and proposals for uh, Olympic Park and what they want to achieve, it will make it a fantastic venue. Mm -hmm. Um, You've hit the nail on the head. Geographically, the stadium is where it needs to be for the average rugby league punter. Mm -hmm. More South members live west of Ainz Stadium than, in fact, live to the east. So it's about providing people what they need. But the other side of this conversation is how do you split the broad amount of money the government is going to allocate? Because there is, of course, a proposal to build a brand-new stadium at Moore Park right next to Mm Allianz, which, you know, I think if there is a laughable component to the conversation, that's potentially it. Um, Allianz has great atmosphere, but it also has some limitations, which you would think a renovation might be more suitable than building something brand new for a lot of money. So maybe the key is that we need just a little bit more detail about actually how that money's going to be used, and then that might be more useful in getting the fans on board once they see what's actually going to be done. Oh, there's no doubt. The communication has been very much caught between the NRL and the state government, Mm -hmm. I suspect. Um, And as is always the case in rugby league, it's caught in leaks from one party, leaks from the other party. The Daily Telegraph and the Herald have amazing sides of of the conversation each day, um, which I actually don't think reflect the consensus of Mm -hmm. where most clubs and certainly where the government is. So as a fan, as a punter reading the papers, you're just at a loss as to what's going on. Well, hopefully the, um, we get a bit more communication and, and can build some better stadiums and get more people out to games. Before we wrap up, Joanna, there was something in the paper that excited you. Yes, well, uh, the news that the Australian host broadcaster for the World Cup next year, the Rugby League World Cup, will be Channel 7. 
which is described in, in this paper as a, a little bit of a surprise. Um, not such a surprise considering they broadcast the last one as well, mm -hmm. but the last one was over in the UK and the time difference wasn't great for Australian viewers. So it'll be interesting to see what Channel 7 do with this. Obviously, a lot of commentators uh, and other personnel are signed up to the other networks. Mm -hmm. So um, good opportunity for, to, for Channel 7 and good opportunity for people around the game who are you know, interested in the international space and a lot of former players who played in the last couple of World Cups uh, should get a chance to be on that uh, commentary team as they did last time. Well, I want to talk a bit more about that international stuff, but let's take a break and then we'll come back and talk a bit more about rugby league. Now, I want to talk about rugby league, but before we get to last night's game, I have a bit of a confession to make. I didn't actually watch the game last night because I was with friend of the podcast, Dennis Carnahan and Tim Gore, who are both massive Canberra Raiders fans, and they made me watch the 1989 Grand Final whilst only consuming green food. So I've got not much insight into last night's game, but I'm very lucky to be surrounded by three people who watched that game. Brock, tell us, 17-10 to the Roosters. Oh, I think I would have preferred to watch the 89 Grand Final, <laughs> to, to be honest. It was, uh, it was oh, look, I think it was a poor game, okay. um, and it was obviously particularly hard to watch if you were supporting South. Mm-hmm. Uh, relief <laughs> for the Roosters would be the way mm -hmm. I would sum it up. That game was, I guess it had the potential that Souths could only beat themselves and the Roosters needed to band together, led by an incredible game from Dylan Napa. Mm -hmm. He basically, I would say, dragged the team behind him and over the line. Well, both in attack and defence, so 151 metres in attack and 40 tackles is absolutely immense. You could see just the intensity with which oh, I think it was um, Robbo who said after the game that uh, he said that he was going to go out there and have a good game, and then he did. Mm -hmm. Not all players have the capacity to do that, yep. but he followed through and it was incredible just to watch the intensity and passion with which he sort of played and took it to South. Were there any other standouts for the Roosters? Because I've noticed in previous weeks um, it doesn't seem like everyone in the team is turning up. So Sean Kenny Dowell has been pretty outstanding, I think. Dylan Napa has also impressed me. Um, they're probably the two that I can think of that have been pretty consistent. I think Friendy had a pretty good game last yeah. night and I think uh, maybe it was the last game or the game before he was a little bit he was a mm -hmm. little bit quieter and I think he sort of took it on himself again being one of the older players in that team one of the senior players I think you know he kind of needed to drive them forward a bit and um, I saw better signs from him last night I think and Joanna what about the Rabbitohs well they were pretty directionless last night I mean it's interesting, isn't it, that we got to see these teams play each other in round one and again in round six. Mm -hmm. So that's a, a pretty quick chance to reassess the, the direction things are going in. And obviously, what a different result last night. So the Rabbitohs definitely need Reynolds back. Uh, that was quite clear last night. And um, the Roosters have just been sort of gradually getting there. I was at their game last week up at Gosford uh, when they lost to the Warriors in Golden Point, And they were obviously a little bit peeved about that. Mm -hmm. So uh, that, that gave them a huge boost heading into this one. But the Rabbitohs... Yeah, I mean, things things do seem to be heading in the wrong direction. I feel they've looked a bit lost ever since Sam Burgess went off that game. They were very good last week. Um, I, I thought very good against Manly. Against Manly? The, the defensive okay. effort was immense. That game was interesting because I felt like they were on top for the first 20 minutes and I thought they were going to rack up this cricket scoreline and then it was all Manly for the last 60 minutes. So perhaps 
you know, you can look at the attack of Manly, but also the defence of South to hold them out for those 60 minutes. It's been a comment made a lot about South under Madge that they have the ability for 20 to 30 minutes to absolutely demolish mm-hmm. a team, run them off the field, and then it's just hanging on for the remainder of the game. Um, and I think that was true again, where they were very good in bursts last night, the first 10 minutes of the first half and again in the second half. And then it just seemed very fatigued. They were smashed up the middle. Napa was immense. I thought Jacko Hastings was pretty mm-hmm. good um, for the Roosters as well. Uh, but, yeah, tough, really tough one for the Rabbitohs. Well, I'm happy for the Roosters because I found it really hard watching them. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm the only person in Sydney, I think, that's not a Roosters fan that has a soft spot for them, but um, that's okay. We can move on to the other game that's already happened this week, and that's the Dragons and the Broncos. So the Broncos, 26-0 over the Dragons. I feel sorry for the Dragons as well. I'm just a bleeding heart. Um, they looked absolutely directionless. Paul Gareth Widdop didn't really know what he was doing. And the dropped balls. I'm not sure what was going on. Were they playing with a funny ball? <laughs> Everyone's laughing at me. <laughs> I think everyone's still sort of laughing probably at the, uh, the game itself and the amount of unforced errors and just shocked at the situation that the Dragons find themselves in. Josh Dugan, though, I have to say, was absolutely outstanding for the Dragons. So 288 metres in attack, five tackle breaks, one line break, and his work in defence as well, I think, saved the Dragons on a number of occasions. Yeah, well, I think his move back to fullbacks obviously Mm -hmm. was required. I think everybody knew that after two rounds. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, The sort of change-up that they tried there didn't work, and, and Dugan is just a standout, but it's not enough. I think the Dragons need a little bit more well, direction. Well, it's very worrying for them in attack. So they've only scored 40 points in 480 minutes of football. That's, that's two tries and they've been kept to nil in two of their last games. That's a bit scary. Worst start since 1922. Yeah, it's been a long time. I didn't so for, for, a very, for a very proud club, um, yeah, they need, to, uh, they need a bit of structure and pull it together. And the Broncos, I didn't actually think were outstanding, but it just looked way too easy for them to rack up a 26-0 scoreline. Yeah, I only caught the last uh, 15 or so minutes of that game and, and obviously at that point it was 12-0 mm. and then we end up at 26-0. So certainly that period was uh, was pretty easy but with some uh, some nice attacking options from the halves there. But yeah, I mean, if you, the Dragons, no, no points in two matches. Then, you know, you go into your next match and it probably starts to play in your mind a bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, for me, the game that I'm most looking forward to this weekend is Parramatta Raiders. I think that's going to be a cracker this afternoon. Parramatta have been very strong defensively and the Canberra Raiders have shown what they can do in attack. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Very excited. Especially considering you've consumed all that grain food and you've given the Raiders the edge. Well, we won't talk about the Raiders <laughs> beanie that's also in my car. Um, is there anything else we wanted to talk about rugby league this week that I don't really want to bring up? May also involve Parramatta. Yeah, it may also involve mm-hmm. Parramatta. Um, what is, what, is, what, is, is there some odd news the about Parramatta, is there? Oh. Yeah, I, I hadn't Who'd heard anything. It? Okay, do I have to talk? Right. What is that sandwich bag on the table? <laughs> Parramatta and their ongoing salary cap issues. Um, there's been a lot of debate about what the so-called penalty is going to be. Uh, four points, ten points, walking away of the board... I think what's most disappointing for me, though, as a Parramatta supporter, is all these leaks that are coming out of the club to the media. It doesn't seem that we can go a single day without someone leaking something to the media that is, you know, destabilising our club and destabilising the investigation that the NRL is currently doing. 
Um, what also is very disappointing for me is that there are clearly a couple of competing factions at the Eels and each of them simply wants to destabilise the other. Uh, they don't have the best interests of the club at heart um, and it's really preventing us as a club moving forward. It's, it's very hard being a Parramatta fan throughout all this ongoing debate that we've had for several years at a governance level. It's bad for the game. When, it's really when, bad. When, when Parramatta is... The stories that come out, it, it is a governance issue. It's plain and simple, clear to see. Um, ongoing elections, factions fighting against each other, but this great club in the heartland of rugby league um, unfortunately isn't reaching its potential. I mean, there are some amazing people at Parramatta. Brad Arthur, I think, is one of the best coaches in the game and has done a really good job of both having Parramatta really being in a position to attack the top four and being really solid finals contention this year with all this drama going around behind the scenes. Mm. It would be incredibly tough. He's doing a great job. So we'll see whether the Eels can um, continue to front up in the face of adversity. Fingers crossed they get a win against the Raiders this afternoon. We've got an interesting topic to talk about next, Sport for Development, so we might wrap it up there and be back shortly. So it seems that I've planned the podcast perfectly this week because the 7th of April was International Day of Sport for Development and Peace, which is a day when people all over the world celebrate the power of sport to inspire positive social change. I'm going to go straight to you, Joanna. Can you tell us a bit about the work that you do in Papua New Guinea with Rugby League? Yes, yeah, so it is It is very timely this yes. week that this is the week I happen to be here. It's That's a right. pure coincidence. Um, so last year I was working um, on a program called League for Life, League Belong Life in PNG. It's a program run by the NRL and funded by Australian Aid. And as people may know, PNG is the only country in the world where rugby league is the national sport. And I really believe it is the one message vehicle you can use in PNG to get people to listen and think about things differently. PNG is a very... Um, diverse place you know there's many different groups of people there's more than 800 languages it's not really a place where people tend to think in the same way apart from about rugby league and they tend to love it so this program uh, went into schools mostly and used rugby league themed lessons basically a mixture of outdoor and indoor rugby league reading resources outdoor activities to get kids to come to school more often which is a big issue in png for various reasons and also to appreciate the importance of having an education and, and con- continuing past the age of, say, 12, and also messages about respect. There's a lot of issues with uh, gender-based violence in PNG, mm-hmm. one of the sort of worst track records, um, certainly in this region, and sort of just talking generally about respecting each other, um, women, your family, your teachers, and that most of the work is happening in a, in a primary school setting, but also there's sort of community outreach activities and inclusive days for um, children with disabilities and that sort of thing and going out to quite remote areas or settlements that don't normally have any other kind of activities going on there. Um, so it was it was an incredible thing to be involved in. Um, I've been involved in rugby league my whole life and so to be involved in something like that in the country where it's it's uh, the, the biggest deal was, was, was really good. Um, the programme is continuing at least until 2017 um, and there's a slightly smaller version of it running in Fiji, Samoa and Tonga also run by the NRL. So this is one of several sport for development programs in the Pacific um, that's sort of an Australian aid initiative and you have others, cricket, soccer, um, and netball is quite a big one as well, and and volleyball. So depending on the country, um, they're generally using one of the sports that's most popular in that country to deliver some of these social messages. And I think that's one of my favourite things about rugby league in that 
they take their community involvement very seriously and I think the NRL community program is basically the jewel on the NRL's crown like with programs like Voice Against Violence, Rugby League Reads, the NRL really takes its responsibility and the power that it has in our communities to sort of change the message and, and, and change lives. Brock I want to jump to you now can you tell us a little bit about the work that South Sydney does with South Cares? Oh, I absolutely can. South Cares is a is a charity. It's independent of the Rabbitohs Football Club, but you've got to talk about the Rabbitohs to understand what the charity does. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in the middle of South Sydney Territory as we as we are part of this podcast today. This is a community that loves rugby league, loves the Rabbitohs, and saved the club. That's what you've got to remember. Mm-hmm. It was sixty thousand people marching on Town Hall that brought the Rabbitohs back into the NRL, and it was then. Um, the great investment of people like Russell Crowe, Peter Holmes at Court, good administrators like Shane Richardson, who helped make the club professional again. But those gentlemen understood that the Rabbitohs have a real debt to the community, mm-hmm. um, particularly the people in social housing around Redfern. Uh, and they understood that to service that debt, you couldn't simply have a community department. I love sport. Sport's really powerful to change, um, to deliver positive change in the community. But sporting clubs fundamentally exist to win games of footy or win games of cricket. So the Rabbitohs said, we can't have the cost centre in the club, but let's make a big investment to set up a charity and make it sustainable. Let's create an independent board and let's go and deliver really effective change. South Cares has 10 staff. We've got offices in Redfern, Liverpool and Penrith. Uh, We work with disadvantaged and marginalised young people. We help them get jobs. We help them get into university. We change lives. It's as simple as that. And it is only through rugby league. So I can tell you, no group of school kids, no teenager uh, wants to hear me tell them why they need to get mm. a job or or, or, under, or talk to me and talk about goal setting and talk about the challenges they have in life. But as soon as the Rabbitohs logo goes on my shirt or goes on the shirt of my staff, certainly, the engagement is different. And that's what sport can be. It is a microphone. It is a stage for effective change. And what rugby league does very well is collaborate with great community partners Sport can't exist in a silo and we can't deliver effective change by ourselves, but partnering with organisations like White Ribbon, Mm -hmm. like Headspace, is how we deliver that effective change. I know certainly um, from hearing what Joanna was saying about P&G, it's the link with Australian aid that makes the NRL's programs in the Pacific work so well. And I've I've had the the great benefit of of spending a year in P&G as well, working in a similar sort of program. Change through sport is real, um, but it's got to be professional. That's one of the, the things South Cares has. It's, it's not just a kind of ramshackle attempt at let's go take a photo op in a hospital in a yeah. children's ward, mm-hmm. um, which, look, to be honest, some sports are guilty of, um, some clubs are guilty of, but I think rugby league at least is doing a very good job of getting professional and doing real work. And that's what I love the most, I think. Um, and seeing particular players and how engaged they are with the community and the kids that they work with. So Josh Reynolds, I know, is a very divisive player. A lot of play- people don't like what he does on the field, and I wasn't a fan. But we had him come to my work to deliver a message to students that we were working with. Never actually seen such a passionate and enthusiastic footballer. And Brock, you're absolutely right. The minute that a player comes and starts speaking about these messages, the kids, they listen. They listen and they want to take on those messages. And Josh stayed to the very end taking photographs. 
you know, speaking, whatever needed to be done, Josh was there. And there are also the stories that I think Rugby League needs to get better at sharing because it seems that Rugby League is the example when it comes to the community, but those messages aren't getting out there. That's right. And I think the one thing the NRL can do better is listen to its players because players have a set everyone is different, but we need to speak to the players about what their passion is. What do they care about in community? Mm-hmm. It's their face that's going to go on the poster against um, antisocial kind of uh, impacts or their face that's going on the poster to promote something positive in community. Let's actually ask the players what they want to stand up, put their head above the trench and be passionate about. We don't do that enough. Um, at South, we do it extensively. We stakeholder, we do stakeholder work with all our players every year to find out what are the causes they're willing to stand up for, who are the people they want to champion. And that's made our, our programs much more effective because the players want to do them. I think, it, yeah, I was about to say that makes it just more authentic. And when you care about a cause, you're more willing to stand up and, and do the work. And it's that message of authenticity that I think is important. I think that's a great idea. NRL, are you listening? No, oh, I'm sure they are. And, 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 and look, guys like Nathan Highmarsh last year, did a, he did a really good survey with the players to find out mm-hmm. what their passions were. Um, NRL community, um, unfortunately, has lost some of its funding over the last 12 months and they've had staff leave, which is a real shame. Um, but the team that is there are very, very good at what they do. They are so passionate. Um, people like Jess McCartney, who run mm-hmm. the Learning with League Centre, is, is one of the smartest people I've met in rugby league and does a really good job. Um, so those people probably, look, if the NRL is listening, it would be good to have more funding in community. That, that's essentially what we need to say. No, I, I love that. Now, Brock or Joanna, can you one of you tell us just a feel-good story to end this segment? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, given that we're on Ladies Who League, um, one of the, the main things that struck me about the programme PNG is the fact that so many of the NRL development officers there are women, um, in fact, there's four lead development officers, so one in each region and two of them are women, and, and in Port Moresby, more than half, way more than half the development officers are women. They all play rugby league themselves. Awesome. I was the only woman in the office who didn't play rugby league, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I went and cheered them on and filmed them and did other useful things. But so many of the girls in the schools that, that we used to go into, well, they still go into, um, commented on that, you know, we, our rugby league teachers are women. We didn't realise that women were rugby league teachers, and, and now they you know, think differently about rugby league, having seen it being taught to them, all the basic skills taught to them by women. And, I mean, that's a very important thing in PNG. And and the PNG women's team is going to be in the Women's Rugby League World Cup next year, Mm -hmm. which is another huge platform to get people in PNG and and beyond in the region sort of talking about women playing sport and perceiving women a bit differently. I've loved this discussion. While I could keep going about rugby league all day, we might take a quick break and come back and talk about some cricket. Time for my favourite segment. We've got Mary's mix-up. So I wanted to mention a couple of things this week. There's been a bit of controversy in the US with their women's football team. Now, their women's football team is the best women's football team in the world. Um, they've won three World Cup titles, four Olympic gold medals, but despite this, there's still a large pay gap between the men and the women. So this week, five senior players, including the two co-captains, have filed a claim with the US Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. I'm just wondering whether any of you guys think that the Matildas might have had something to do with this because we all know that they had a battle with um, the FFA last year in relation to their pay. So it looks like um, the times are changing and hopefully we can get equal pay for the US women's football team. The second thing that I wanted to mention was that 28 people have qualified for Rio in track and field this week following the athletics last week. There are some familiar faces and plenty of fresh blood too, so we wish all of them the very best as they begin their preparations for Rio. 
Um, the announcement as well this week that the Twitter and the NFL have signed a deal to broadcast 10 Thursday night regular season games free over the internet. Uh, this could be a really interesting move in sports broadcasting, I think, and will probably mean that I'll spend even more time now looking at my Twitter feed. And finally, um, women wrestlers in the WWE will now be called superstars. Um, they used to be called the Divas. I don't know whether any of you guys watch WWE. Anyone? Anyone care to admit that they watch WWE? Everyone's shaking their heads. Of course none of you watch WWE. Um, I used to watch it and the girls were always the Divas. Um, but now they're going to be recognised exactly the same as the men and called the Superstars. And they'll be able to wrestle for the WWE Women's Championship, which I think is kind of cool. Uh, so that's the mix-up. I really want to talk about cricket now, so we'll take a quick break and come back shortly. So time to talk about cricket. I have to admit I had a really depressing last Sunday because I went and watched Parramatta play Penrith and obviously Parramatta ripped my heart out and stomped on it in the last four seconds. Actually, it was more Bryce Cartwright that did that to me, so... Big shout out to Bryce Cartwright this week. Had a little cry on the way back to my car, but then remember that the Southern Stars were also playing that night and then the Southern Stars lost in the last over two. I didn't have a cry after that. Elle, did you have a cry? Why didn't you have a cry? You don't have the same passion for the Southern Stars that you do for Parramatta. Look, the passion that I have for Parramatta is a little bit out of control. It's probably good that I don't have that passion for too many other things. I'd just be a hot mess all the time. Um, yeah, it was an incredible game. Um, I think we went from not having a 50 in a final to having four mm-hmm. in a women's final, which was quite incredible. Um, our girls set a record total. Um, and then the West Indies came out with fire. Um, Hayley Matthews and Brittany Cooper had been incredible the week before. They've just came, came out all guns blazing with the bat and... Uh, made it very difficult for our girls despite being incredible champions and going for four successive wins, which is something just incredible. Mm -hmm. When you think about it, on a world stage for a team to be going four titles back-to-back is something incredible and it's just great to actually see a bit of light shed on them and and it really gaining a bit of traction so that everyone else really knows what's going on rather than this sort of happening in the background and everyone kind of going, oh, yeah, I've heard our girls are good. But that's the thing I think that cricket has done so well over the last, let's say, 12 months, following the back of the WBBL, which I thought was tremendously successful, and now people actually know who our Southern stars are. People are able to name more than just Elise Perry that play in that, that team, and there were some outstanding performances, and it's great to see Australia finally talking about what is a very talented team. Yeah, I think there are a couple of really great things with the WBBL. Um, The Big Bash has such a brilliant blueprint Mm -hmm. for the game. The Big Bash itself, the blueprint of bright colours. It's entertainment. It's It's an entertainment. It's not just sport. It's an entertainment concept. They understand how to attract fans. They understand their market and they've done it really well. And then they took the exact same formula and applied it to the women. And you know what? When something works, it just works and it's doing wonders for the women's team. I think from a perspective of people who are interested in cricket, and there are a lot of cricket nuffies, um, it's not even just knowing our Australian players, but now like I know a bunch of the South African stars, yeah. a bunch of... I'd really like to see the BCCI let the women, the Indian women play mm-hmm. because that would give even more exposure. I think when we played India over the summer... We'd, I didn't know the players. I was kind of watching and kind of going, oh, well, who's going to stand out here? And 
we, you know, we struggled against India. And can you imagine how much better the, the WBBL could have been had the BCCI allowed them to play? And I think that's what's exciting for me about the WBBL in that we had a very successful experiment, I think, over WBBL 01, and there are plenty of ideas being talked about for WBBL 02. So I think it's just going to get bigger and better. Um, and what I also loved is that, Elle, you said that they transferred a successful formula to the women, and that's exactly right. They didn't change it. They didn't try to fiddle with it. They didn't try a shorter season. They did exactly what they did for the men and what they did for the women, and it was very clear that Cricket Australia got right behind the concept, and that's what we need to see. And that I agree with, but um, Jane Sutherland's idea to separate the women's World T20 from the men's, mm. I don't actually think is good for it. Mm-hmm. I think the other amazing thing about WBBL was the doubleheaders. Yes. I loved it. You go, you get to see two games of cricket, it's a festival, it's an all-day event, they are... Yes, it compared more and more. They are exactly like the men, just earlier. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's the whole idea. There's no reason in separating them. Taking, Watching the crowds that were there in the World T20 for a final wasn't that many. Yeah. And there was a men's game following it. That worried me. To then go, oh, yeah, we'll take this to a different venue with God knows what TV coverage... Mm. Um, and assume that we're going to get the crowds and the following. I think the double header is the blueprint that they need to keep following. They should not be trying to move it away. Maybe, maybe eventually down the track, we're talking five to ten years, yeah. trying to just go, oh, well, you know, we've had a good season, let's completely separate it again, is it's almost going backwards. It's, it's again, it's pulling it yeah. away from where the men's game is and where all the focus is. Let's keep it in the same focus. Why can't we watch everything at once, support two teams. And the biggest thing for mine was most people remarked how incredible the scenes were when the men came out and Mm -hmm. celebrated with the women, the women came out and celebrated with the men. Those were some of the most incredible scenes. I mean, look, there's a lot of loaded backstory with the West Indies and all that kind of jazz, but to see those scenes is what's incredible about sport. It's what's incredible about country pride. It's what's incredible about everything. And to go, oh, well, we'll have, we'll have them over here and them over here at a different time is insane for mine. Yeah, no, I'm, you've brought me around, Alec. I, I agree <laughs> with that point. Um, but what's also been great this week is the announcement by Cricket Australia that there's going to be a significant pay increase for our female cricketers. Um, they're now going to receive substantial pay increases and the Cricket Australia's commitment is going from $2.36 million to $4.23 million. So that means that a lot of our athletes will be earning six-figure salaries. Woohoo! It's like, I just want to... <laughs> if Danielle Warby was here, like, she'd be stomping and banging things. Like, that's what I want to do here. It's, it's incredible. That's what the future of women's sport should be to the extent where you can actually have a kid sitting in a room and go, at school, going, I want to grow up and be a professional athlete. That is now an option. Rather than having to juggle a full-time job yep. and then putting you know, all that extra work into training, it's just not viable if we want our women to be successful yep. athletes. If you want them to be better, if you want the quality to be better, let them actually have the ability to focus on it. And the only other thing that I'll yeah, say yeah, really quickly on, is just <laughs> with the World T20, I think the gap was the men receive $106,000 after the World T20 and the women get $6,000. Yeah, the, the gap... It was staggering. Crazy. And in a lot of sports, it's it's similar. You know, the women are expected to continue with their daily lives and not purely focus on it. So it's that's an incredible step forward and that's just amazing from Cricket Australia and it needs to be 
Yeah, no, well done, Cricket Australia. I'm so impressed. I think they're doing wonderful things for women in sport and hopefully other sports sports, stand up and take notice and start to pay our female athletes the way they should be paid. Excellent. Love it. Cricket Australia, well done. We'll take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about what's coming up in the week ahead. So apart from the rugby league game that everyone is looking forward to, Canberra and Parramatta, and actually I'm also really looking forward to Tigers Knights. I've tipped the Knights. Does anyone else think they can get up? First win of the season? You're going to ask me if the Knights are going to win? Oh, sorry, Al, I forgot you're a Tiger. Sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, Brock, Joanna. I, I think it's the Tigers. As, as a fellow Tiger, I fear that if the Knights are getting up, this might be it. But um, I have faith in the Tigers. Okay, so This is a fun environment. I'm completely outnumbered. I think it's because I interviewed Nathan Ross this week and he promised that if he scored the match-winning try, he'd do a flip for Ladies Who League. So I'm really just... Maybe you can just do a flip for me generally no, and then I'll be happy. I'd say you've probably got... <laughs> you might be right. We're just being optimistic. No, that look... As everyone has been off the Tigers I think the Tigers early have in 2016. Been, they've started the season quite well. Their attack is very exciting. And Teddy Tedesco, I've loved watching him play. So we'll see what happens. Knights, Tigers. Maybe we can talk about that next week. Um, I want to mention Kim Ravillon, who is an Australian netball diamond and Queensland Firebird. She's playing her 50th ANZ Championship match this week. She plays for the Firebirds, and they'll be taking on the Central Pulse. The Firebirds as well are doing remarkably well. They're on a 14-match winning run and are one, way, one, sorry, one win away from equaling their club record of 15 consecutive runs in a, wins in a row runs. I'm still thinking about cricket. Um, so big news in netball. Rugby Sevens, our women are in the quarterfinals. Uh, they've played three games so far. They defeated Fiji 22-5. to They lost to England 21-7 and beat Colombia 34-0. Our men also beat Argentina this morning 28-0. So keep an eye on your TV screens this weekend for plenty more Rugby Sevens. There's also an exhibition match this afternoon happening between the Sydney Swans women's team and the AFL Sorry, and the GWS Giants women's team. I was distracted because I was thinking about the announcement yesterday that the Swans are going to name their team the Lady Swans. That tweet has since gone down, but Lady Swans, come on, guys. Surely we can do better than that. I think, as we've talked before, one of the successes of the WBBL was calling the teams exactly the same names, and perhaps the AFL could uh, take a leaf out of their book. Not call them the Swanettes? <laughs> do they have cheerleaders in the AFL? No, they don't. Well, no, let's they not don't. go there then. No, they don't. I, I think it's from the same school of thought of women in league just put a pink, pink, a pink, pink and bedazzle on and you're it. Fine, right? Yeah. No, it's poor. It's, poor. it's really, really poor. I don't want a pink jersey and I don't want a bedazzled either. Please, please, no more bedazzled jerseys. Um, and finally, Michelle Payne is back in action later this afternoon at Royal Randwick. She'll guide emphatically in the Group Two 1200 metre Percy Sykes Stakes at 1.20. So tune into that and then tune into Parramatta v Raiders this afternoon. We'll take a quick break and then come back and wrap up the show. And that's another episode of Ladies Who League done and dusted. Joanna, thank you for coming in this morning. Thank you. It's been great and I will uh, head off back to PNG on Monday inspired by your uh, inflatable Aaron Woods doll and I might take a few of those over with me. I'm sure they would be very well received. Well, make sure if you do to take lots of pictures because I'd love to see, you know, the kids tackling the Kieran Foran <laughs> blow-up doll and the Adam Reynolds blow-up doll. Yeah, it doll. might not last too long if that happens, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. And where are you going today? Have you got something on after the show? Yes, I have actually. Um, as, as your listeners uh, may or may not be aware, in June, 
El Salvador are playing Chile in a rugby league match at Henson Park, the eighth wonder of the world. It's, it's true. Um, it it's just before a Newtown Jets game. And so I'm off to do some filming with uh, Chile and El Salvador players uh, to help them promote that game. So uh, stay tuned. This is all part of Latin Heat Rugby League, which is basically a mission to get Latinos in Australia playing rugby league and take rugby league to Latin America. Check them out on Facebook, Latin Heat. And uh, this could be the start of something quite big, given that it's a very large part of the world. That's really cool. Sorry, Joanna, what was that date? June the 11th at Henson Park. It is El Salvador v Chile. And there are various other Latin nations playing, uh, I think, nines games as curtain raises to that. And it's followed by the Newtown Jets match on that day. Because I go down to Henson Park a couple of times through the year to watch the Jets because I love going so do down I. there. So I think I've noted that date down. I'll check the diary and I'm going to head down. That sounds amazing. Yes, certainly uh, a- even better than usual Saturday afternoon at Henson Park. Will the man who rides the bicycle around when the Jets score be in action for any of those games? Can you try and confirm that Will for he us? be riding around for El Salvador tries or yeah. Chile or both? I think both. I think both. Um, the El Salvador kit is quite similar to New Newtown Jets. It's blue and white, so I don't know if that would sway him, but his, his name's Traddy. We'll find out. All right. I'll find that out. Brock, thank you so much for coming and I've loved having a chat and learning a bit more about what South Cares does. Thanks for having me. It's been a really fun morning. Good, that's what we like to hear. And Elle, I think you're back with us next week. One week wasn't enough for her. She's signed up for week two. Thank you for coming in. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Next week I think is a big football week. We've got Tara Rushton in the studio so I'm going to brush up on my football and I want to talk about Leicester City I think a bit. Yes. Elle, I didn't know that you were from Leicester until this morning. Yes, born in Leicester, haven't watched a lot of football, uh, but this is a good year to pay attention. (laughs) Yeah, it sure is. So plenty of football chat to come next week. I've got to get out of the studio because I've got to go down and put my Parramatta Reels scarf on. I'm heading out to Parramatta Stadium, full of green food. Thanks for listening to Ladies Who League. You know where to find us. We're on iTunes, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Send me a tweet. Send us a review. We've gotten some fantastic reviews this week. Um, Please leave me one. Um, And you've been listening to Mary Kay from Ladies Who League. See you next week. Australia Ladies who lay.